Did you notice how often it said bricks without straw? How often it said the how how often it rehearsed the the impossibility of the task that what was being asked made no sense. And maybe that's why it seems so familiar. I mean, in a sense, it's not at all familiar. We don't have pharaohs and none of us, I don't think any of us make bricks for a living. Um, none of us are slaves. Uh, but at the same time, this is so familiar. It could be, it could be a Dilbert cartoon. It, it could be posted in the cubicle next to yours, you know, by, by the sign that says the beatings will continue until morale improves. It, it has this kind of, eerie familiarity even amid its, amidst all of its strangeness. There's something that is odd about this passage that way. And the reason is because everything changes, but some things never change. Uh, everything changes. The, you know, no one builds pyramids anymore except the one in Las Vegas. And, and we don't, we don't make the bricks and we don't have pharaohs. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't walk sideways like King Tut. You know, we don't do those things and yet at the same time, we're still people. And so even though 3,500 years have passed, things are the same because people don't change. People are messy. I, uh, when, when I was uh, studying for this, this message, one of the first things that occurred to me, I, I don't know if you saw this news item, but it was a couple of weeks ago, there was a news item about how uh, workers in some of Amazon's facilities have complained because, because the, the schedule that they operate under um, it means that they don't have time for bathroom breaks. And so some of the workers are using adult uh, uh, diapers and other ones are urinating in bottles. And I don't know if that's true. Um, it, it's almost, you know, it's too good to check into. But um, <laughs> but if it is true, then it it gives a whole new meaning to this sentence, let my people go. <laughs> Things change, but they really don't change. The, the important things don't change because people are still people and people are messy. People are a mess. Each of us is a mess. And, and um, if, if you're not sure about that, think about the people you know. Are they a mess? Okay, now ask them about you. <laughs> because, because people are messy. And, <clears throat> and that's where these problems come from. If, if, um, if, uh, if it doesn't come to us that we're we're the we're part of the problem, then you know check check with other people because you might find you are. We are we are in a um, a conversation uh, looking at the, the the story of the Exodus. The Exodus is an event that took place in the life of Israel where God uh, demonstrated that His character is is to be the kind of God who helps people out of difficult circumstances. God is the kind of person who liberates people from their slavery. So we've seen that over the last couple of weeks. We've seen that that is the character of God. But the reason he does it is because he is a merciful God. He doesn't want to see people miserable. And what we're going to look at today is the is the question, what happens when the mercy of God bumps up against God's desire to free people? Uh, the, the mercy is where God gets the desire to free people. But what happens when the two are in conflict? Because that's what we're going to see in our lesson today. Because God is opposed. There is a messy person who doesn't want to cooperate with God. And what does God do in the circumstance where his mercy is opposed to his determination to free the people? 
So we, um, we know the answer. E- even before we get there, God tells us what is going to happen. He says to, he says to Moses, um, back in chapter, uh, four, he said, when you, when you go to, uh, Pharaoh, make sure you do all the amazing signs I've shown you. So give him, you know, uh, tell him that I am, I am God. I, I am not somebody to be trifled with. I can do these amazing things. Show him that. And then tell him to let the people go. So you would think God is saying, okay, I've solved that problem, right? I'll just power up and he will do what he's told. But God says it won't work. That powering up won't work because Pharaoh's heart will be hardened. Um, uh, the, our, our translation says, I, I will make him stubborn so he won't let the people go. Our, our translation, in the older in the older translations, it said, "Harden heart, I will harden his heart." And I think the reason that they they changed it here is because you know we live in a world with cardiac surgery and things like that. So I think they wanted to avoid any idea that you know the arteries were getting clogged up or something like that. So they said that I'll make him stubborn. But the idea is that is that by by confronting him with with the power of God and God's intention to to uh, free the people. He will have to make a decision. He will have to make a decision. Is that something he wants to be part of? Does he want to cooperate with what God is doing to free the people? Or does he become stubborn? And God says, before it even happens, I know Pharaoh. I know what he's going to do. He's going to become stubborn. So we jump forward to chapter 5. When they get to Egypt, when uh, Moses and his brother Aaron get to Pharaoh, it says, "This is so so they tell him, this is what the Lord, uh, Israel's God, says. It doesn't, it doesn't say so, but I assume that they have followed God's instructions and they have, at this point, they've shown him those, those signs. Um, and they tell him, uh, let my people go so they can hold a festival for me in the desert. And this would be a great place for Pharaoh to say, I had no idea, you know, what you're telling me makes all kinds of sense. Uh, even if, even if I don't believe that slaves should be freed, then I should at least say, well, well, your God does all kinds of amazing signs. I better do what he says. But instead, Pharaoh says this. He says, who is this Lord I'm supposed to obey? Who is this Lord whose powers you just demonstrated? I don't know who he is. I don't care who he is. Who is this Lord I'm supposed to obey by letting the people go? I don't know this Lord. And I certainly won't let people go. I, I won't let the people go. I won't let Israel go. And then they, they go on, they explain, um, the, his, the, the Hebrews God has appeared to us. Let us go on the three-day journey. And, and the king says, says, no. He says, Moses and Aaron, why are you making the people slack off from the work? Do the hard work yourself. And then Pharaoh kind of loses it. I think Pharaoh loses it. I mean, if you imagine Pharaoh, probably nobody has said no to him. Nobody has told him what to do since the day he, he became um, uh, Pharaoh. And probably not very often before that when he was the prince. So um, he is being he is being confronted, he's being challenged, and he becomes irrational. He becomes irrational. Look what he says. He says, the, the, the land's people are numerous. There's a lot of them, but they can't be spared. You know, it's not like they're, you know, a, a critical... A person who, who, you know, everything hinges on this one person. He says, there's, there's lots of them and they can't be spared. He says, um, the land's people are numerous. And then he says, I need what they're doing. I need that. They can't be spared. I need their produce. So let's make it harder for them to produce anything. He says, he says, um, uh, tell them to, to, to make the straw, uh, to, to, to don't give them the straw, make them go gather it themselves. I want to reduce productivity and have the the output be the same. 
He says, you know, the beatings will continue until morale uh, improves. He says, let them go out and gather the straw for themselves. He he says, he says they're weak and lazy, but at the same time, I'm going to give them all this extra work to do. He says they're weak and lazy, but they finish so quickly that they have time to listen to Pharaoh's. I mean, to, to Moses's lies. So, so he's not making any sense, but he doesn't have to because he's Pharaoh. He just basically lashes out at the Israelites. He he doesn't give them a way to even cave in. He doesn't give them a way to say uncle. He you know the 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 um, the slave masters, the the people who work you know the. The Israelites, who are kind of under bosses underneath the, the Egyptian slave masters, the people's slave masters and supervisors came out, and and they, they come to Pharaoh and say, what you're asking is impossible, and Pharaoh says, get back to work. He doesn't even give them an opportunity to say, you know, what can we do to change? How can we, how can we cave in? How can we knuckle under? He doesn't, he doesn't do that. He just says, keep doing it. He says, you're lazy bums. Get back to work. Pharaoh doesn't make any sense. And the reason for that is that he is, he has become irrational. He is no longer doing things that make sense. And the reason for that is because he is filled with spite. He's filled with vindictiveness. He has seen that God exists. He's seen the power of God demonstrated by Moses. And at the same time, he is stubborn. And because he can't get at God, he's simply hurting the people that God loves. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes this is the way the world works. That that even though something doesn't make sense, even though it would be better for somebody if they did something else, they do it out of spite. They do it simply because they, they're shaking their fist at God. They're shaking their fist at reality. So, what can we learn from this? Well, we can learn that God is is merciful because this is just the beginning. God could could blast Pharaoh to atoms. At this point, God could completely roll over Pharaoh, but he doesn't. And and this is just the beginning. For the next 6 chapters, God will take every effort to persuade Pharaoh to let the people go. All of the, the plagues of, of the Exodus, the, the, the river of blood, uh, the, um, uh, the, um, the, the frogs and the flies and the gnats and the darkness, everything that happens from this point forward, God is using his power to persuade Pharaoh and Pharaoh's heart remains stubborn. The more God does to persuade Pharaoh, the more stubborn Pharaoh becomes. So, it's, it's good that God is merciful, that even faced with open, outright defiance, God is merciful. And that's a good thing because sometimes we're like Pharaoh. Sometimes I'm not obedient. Sometimes you're not obedient. Sometimes you know exactly what God wants and your heart is hard. And God is merciful. But unfortunately... When Pharaoh can't have what he wants, when Pharaoh is frustrated by by God and the reality that God is is bringing into being, he lashes out at the Israelites. He hurts the people 
if there is any rationality in what he's doing, he's simply trying to hurt the people that God loves. And that happens. That, that there is, there is collateral damage. And so we see that happening here. So it's good that God is patient. But what about the Israelites? Why do they have to suffer? Why does God allow them to suffer out of his mercy for Pharaoh? This is a deep question. And it has to do with that opening statement that Pharaoh's heart was hard. God would make Pharaoh stubborn. God would, would do things that revealed the character, the, the mind, the, the, the way that Pharaoh works. Because God cares about the heart. The reason that, that we recognize this story is because the heart is the one thing that doesn't change. That Pharaoh's heart is a mess, and so is yours, and so is mine. That we are messy people. We have bad hearts too. And if you say, well, my, my heart isn't as bad as Pharaoh's, well, maybe it's not, but maybe you just haven't got the opportunities that he did. God tells us that we have bad hearts, but he says, I will give you new hearts. The, um, the, um, the prophet Ezekiel, through, through, through the prophet Ezekiel, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. You have a bad heart. You may not have the opportunity to, to use it the way Pharaoh did, but you have a bad heart, but I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove your stony heart from your body and replace it with a living one. So, Pharaoh is an example of a stony heart. We've heard that. Pharaoh has a hard heart. So what is a living heart? What is a living heart? Well, we know the answer. That a living heart is the heart of Christ, that, that the mind of Christ, that Christ is the true man. Jesus shows us what God's intention is for humanity. He shows us what kind of person God will make us when he puts a living heart into us. Jesus is our example. In, in the, the letter to the Philippians, Paul says that we are to have the mind of Christ. He says, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says, God wants us to be like Jesus. He says, this is the kind of mind, this is the kind of heart, the psyche that we should have, the mind of Christ. So what does that look like? Well, we know the answer. We know the answer because we see what Christ is like. We see what Christ is like. He goes on in the letter to the Philippians to explain that that Christ looked at the world in heaven where everything is wonderful and he was surrounded by angels to saying his praises. Christ emptied himself. He looked at the world and said, they're hurting. They're in pain. I'm going to go there. That it is the mind of Christ to look at the world with perfect clarity, to see it in all of its ugliness and sin and brokenness, to see the pain and the sorrow, and to go toward it, to embrace it, to kiss the places it hurts, even as the world punches and bites and scratches. This is what it means to have the mind of Christ. And God has created a circumstance in which Israel has the opportunity to live out this vocation, that they have the opportunity to demonstrate the giving, the self-giving, the self-sacrificing love of Christ. 
This is our vocation. Jesus tells us that those who would follow him must pick up their cross daily and follow him. Jesus says that we must deny ourselves. This is, this is what it means to be a Christian. And if somebody else told you, told you that you could go through life as a Christian and it wouldn't hurt, they were lying to you or they just hopelessly misunderstood the gospel. God's grace is wide and deep, but it is costly. So that is our vocation as Christians, to pick up our cross, to deny ourselves. And I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to be glib about it. Because a lot of us feel like I'm making bricks without straw already. And you're telling me that the nature of being a Christian is that I may have to make even more. And I don't want to be glib about that. Because I know some people are at the end of their rope. I know some people have all that they can take. That they, they have been stressed to the place where they don't know if they can go on. I know that because that's how my daughter felt. I know that there are people who pass their breaking point. So I don't want to minimize this. I, want to, I don't want to make you think, just shrug it off, you know, suck it up, shake it off. You'll get over it. Because I realize sometimes people don't. And so if that's you, if you feel like, like I'm already making all the bricks without straw I can make, if you feel like, like uh, it, it's not me, but I know somebody, I know somebody in that exact situation, then I want to tell you, or I want to tell them, that they're not alone. That, that what they feel is not right, it's not fair, but it's normal. It is what it means to be a Christian. That, that they have not misdiagnosed the situation. They're not the weirdo off in a corner who doesn't get it. That that is what it is, that, 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 that is what, what the world is like. And they're not wrong to have diagnosed it that way. But there's more to it than that. It is to know that, that they're not alone. That, that they were never meant to carry the burden by themselves. Jesus tells us to, to bear one another's burdens. We read in the, the letter to the Thessalonians that we are to, to uh, bear one another's burdens. We, uh, Jesus says that, um, that we are to, um, to help, help the, 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 strengthen the faint-hearted and help the weak. That, that, that this is, this is why we are called into community because some people may literally be at their breaking point because we live in a world in which God permits people to make us make our bricks without straw. So, the life of a Christian is not an easy life. It is a hard life. But if it is characterized by suffering and pain, it is also characterized by joy. Jesus says explicitly, not not just pie in the sky by and by, Jesus says that no one who makes sacrifices in this life for his name and for the sake of the kingdom, will fail to be repaid a hundredfold in this life. There is joy in the Lord. To be a Christian is to be what so many worldly philosophies claim to be, to be on the right side of history. It is to have a life that is freighted with meaning and purpose. It is to have a life that has consequence and community.
This is what comes with Christianity. It is to have the wind at your back, the very breath of God, God's Holy Spirit helping move you forward. It is hard. Don't let anyone lie to you and tell you that Christianity is easy. But there is joy in the Lord. So, if you're hurting, if you feel like you're at the end of your rope, then let me tell you, you're not alone. But you're part of a community. People people will support you. People will carry part of the burden. Help us to know what we can do to help you. And for the rest of us, the rest of us who just have the everyday bricks, the everyday bricks without straw. Let me ask you, where is the world pushing back at you? Where are you being asked not to make bricks, but to make bricks without straw? Because the life of Christ, to to follow Christ, is to be where the pain is, to be where the suffering is. And so if everything is wonderful in your life, maybe for a season that's good, but if, if it's been a while since you felt the world was pinching back, then you might ask, really, have I, have I wandered off? Do I, do, have, have I lost sight of where God is at work in my life? So where is the bricks without straw in your life? If you would follow Christ, I can promise you pain and hardship. I can promise you on behalf of Almighty God, there will be pain and suffering. You will plant with tears before you reap with shouts of joy. Jesus said to count the cost. Jesus said, do the math, figure it out. Is this something you want to be part of? Do you want to be his follower? Because this is what it means to be a Christian. And so, if you have done the math, if you feel that despite the pain, despite the suffering, you would rather have a soft, living heart than a hard heart, if you would like to be part of the movement of Jesus, if you would like to be part of God's liberating grace to face the ugliness in the world and to embrace it, even when it punches you, then I invite you to pray with me. Lord God, This world can be so hard. You know how many people it has broken. But you did not stand aloof. You sent your son Jesus, and he triumphed over the brokenness in this world. Not with a display of power, but with a display of weakness, a display of his readiness to take what the world would dish out to him. Lord, make us like him. Give us soft, tender hearts so that we can be like Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.